Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. In one of uh, the Our Daily Bread devotions this past week, it talked about a legendary baseball player, professional baseball player named Darrell, who nearly destroyed his life with drugs. But Jesus had set him free, and he's been clean for a number of years now. And today he, along with his wife, helps others struggling with addiction and points them to faith in Jesus Christ. Looking back, as he says his words, looking back, he, he affirms that God turned his mess into a message. I like that, don't you? Took and turned his mess into a message. He is living out the words that Jesus spoke to the man whom he had just delivered and cast out demons out from demon possession. In Mark chapter 5, verse 19, these words, Go and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Many of the Christians in Corinth were a mess. <laughs> God had rescued them from their sinful lives, washed them clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, and lit up their hearts and minds by the Holy Spirit. Yet it seems that they still wanted to hang out around the raunchy dumpster that they've been delivered out of. Wishing that they could take another dive into the yucky, smelly container and roll around in the trash of this world. So, so Paul is writing to encourage them to turn from their mess and allow the Lord to become in and through their lives a true message of what he can do. A true message of the one who called them out of the dumpster life and saved them in order to live a holy life for his glory. And so after sharply contrasting what we saw a couple of weeks ago, contrasting the spiritual person whom we understand to be the believer, the saved one, with the natural person or the unbeliever, the unsaved one, Paul now strongly admonishes the Corinthian Christians, telling them that they really couldn't be described or considered as spiritual. Instead, their attitudes and their actions place them in kind of a middle category. They no longer behave like unsaved. They were no longer unsaved and weren't necessarily totally acting like the unsaved, but neither were they behaving or acting like born-again saved believers. They were more like carnal Christians, pathetically immature. Paul supports this by pointing out the destructive divisions that had come up and occurred in the church. He then, by use of illustration, Describe the kind of attitudes and actions that they should be exhibiting in the church and also in the public arena. So let's dive in, chapter 3, and let's look at the first couple of verses. 
Paul says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. So the term brothers and sisters expressed by Paul here is also lets us know his sense of and need for wanting to see family unity amongst the brothers and sisters in Corinth, that they should be enjoying that with one another. He's about to get after the Corinthians, but he wanted them to know that his words were motivated by a strong love and an affection for them. He cares about them. He wants to see them growing and maturing and tapping into what Jesus really does have for them. So this term that Paul uses is also intended to remind the Corinthians that they were, since they were all in Christ, connected to one another, and that they should have been united instead of divided as they were. Paul says to them, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Why not? Well, because they were not people who lived by the Spirit. They were people who were still worldly, or another word would be for that carnal. Some of the translations that maybe you might have uses the word carnal. The NIV uses the word worldly. It means the same thing. The Holy Spirit had taken up residence within the Corinthian believers, but the Spirit's sanctifying work had not progressed very far from when Paul had first arrived and led them to Jesus Christ. And five years have gone by at this point, okay? When he's writing this letter, a good five years have gone by. They may have had the Holy Spirit, but you've heard this phrase before, the Holy Spirit did not have them. The Greek word translated, as I was saying a moment ago, worldly or carnal, is actually the word for fleshly, okay? Which is another way, another term for pointing out sin nature. So then a worldly person in this context is someone who is still being dominated by the inclinations and by the desires of that very sin nature within their lives. In other words, more interested in the things of this world than they are in the things of God. The Christian at Corinth weren't new believers. Not at all. But they were stunted in their spiritual growth. So Paul isn't talking to newborn baby believers. Again, five years have gone by, but to those who should have been moved, moving on in maturity, to those who at this point in time should already have been engaged in ministry, serving others, no longer unsaved. They, they are saved, but they weren't acting like it putting them in an entirely different category, which I've already mentioned, kind of a in-the-middle category, a believer caught in the worldly carnal 
middle. Not a good place to be. As I was preparing this, I thought of the Holy Spirit probably spoke it to my heart, and I thought about the words that Jesus spoke to a church in the book of Revelation, the church at Laodicea. You guys remember that? He's talking to this church, and he, he is getting after them because they are lukewarm. He says, man, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But in this sense, he says, but you're in the middle. You're caught in the middle. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're just lukewarm. And the Lord lets us know what he does with lukewarm. He spews them out of his mouth. And so I think that that's where this middle can be thought of. Not a good place to be. Why? Well, for the Corinthians, because they were mixing the world with the word. Not a good mixture. They attended church, sure. Clapped their hands in worship, good for them. May even put money in the offering. But on Monday, you would never know where they were on Sunday. They were out in and acting like they belonged to the world once again and not Jesus. A Christian matures by allowing the Spirit of God to teach and to direct them by feeding on God's Word. It's the only way that it happens. The immature Christian lives for the things of this world and has little interest in the things that pertain to the Spirit of God. Begs the question, and I'll throw it out there for you, what is currently in all honesty, your level of spiritual interests. If it were to be weighed out, what is your level of spiritual interest? What is the behavior of your life, for your life, the actions of your life, the time you spend with your life? What's the report of that on your life? What is your level of spiritual interests? According to verse 2, the Corinthian believers had first received only the simple introductory teachings of the Christian faith. Paul says because they were not ready for anything that would have been even remotely considered deeper in, from God's word. This is a problem for, for Paul. I mean, it's understandable that you start there, of course, right? But it's... It's a problem. The difficulty Paul is having now is that the Corinthians, he says, are still not ready five years later. Though they should have abandoned worldly practices long ago, they remained immature in their faith, riding the fence with a foot in the world and with a foot in spiritual concerns and matters. You want to know a very simple way to evaluate whether you are worldly or not? <laughs> How's your appetite? What do you desire? What do you hunger for? Where does your mind go most of the time? What are, you, what are you wanting? What are you longing for? Do you crave the meat of the word, the things of God, the presence of the Lord, his word? Or are you still only able to digest 
baby's milk, signifying a greater desire for this world rather than the things of God, rather than Jesus. You see, according to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 10 through 14, the milk of the word deals with what Jesus did for us. The meat of the word deals with what Jesus is now doing on behalf of us. The baby Christian only knows, Jesus loves me, this I know. And see, as great of a truth as that is, he or she has not gone on to see more, to learn more, to know more about who Jesus is and who he is presently wanting to be in their lives today. Is there any hope for the person who is stuck in the carnal middle? Well, of course there is. The Lord would have this person just simply be honest, take responsibility, and then at that point confess their sinful worldliness. Confess that perhaps they've been more interested in the things of this world than they have the things of God. Confess that. And there's good news is that following confession, that kind of confession to the Lord, there is freedom that comes from the Lord. How? By, not by positive thinking. <laughs> not by determining to try harder or to do better. No, but by his spirit that is within you. This is what I meant earlier when I prayed in our opening prayer that God would help us learn and know to tap into what God has for us in terms of that power that is available to live this life that is not caught in the middle, but moving forward and growing and maturing and displaying Jesus Christ like we need to be and ought to be. Amen? You see, spiritual life consists not of your own rules, not of your own effort. It simply consists of doing what the Lord tells you to do at any given moment of your life. You see, all you have to do, all I have to do is just say yes to him. No to yourself. Yes to him. No to you. It's so incredibly freeing, if you will. So you're not a slave to yourself and your sinful nature or desires, but a servant of his. Free to live for him, to display him. In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul seems to be dealing with a similar situation that he has going on in Corinth. He says in chapter 3 of Galatians, talking to the Galatian people, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has come along and put an evil spell over you? And then he asks this question. Are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal to carry on in your own human effort? He says, that's crazy. 
That's just flat out foolish. The story is told about a, a Welsh couple who lived many years ago in a remote valley and felt that it would be worth the cost and the trouble to have electricity installed in their home. And so they did, and several weeks after installation, the power company happened to notice that they weren't using very much electricity at all, so they sent out a meter reader. And he goes over there and he says, uh, hey, we notice you're not using a whole lot of electricity. Is there a problem? And they said, no, everything is wonderful. It's great. We, we love it. Every night we turn on our electricity just long enough so we can see how to light our lanterns. <laughs> I thought, oh, we, we do that. We are so like that. We depend on God's spirit to save us. But then we depend on ourselves to sustain ourselves. We don't, we go to him to get us started. We don't stay with him to keep us going and sustain us in this walk of faith. The word of God tells us that we are to keep in step with the spirit. He directs and he leads. We are to obey and follow. We need to plug into his power, amen? But not only do we need to plug in, we need to stay plugged in to his power. Verse 3. says, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? To show that the Corinthians were, were indeed worldly and immature and carnal and caught in the middle in that way, Paul points out as an evidence to their immaturity, their jealousy and quarreling. The Corinthians had divided themselves into these fighting cliques using the charades of human arrogance, worldly wisdom, to fight against one another. This behavior revealed that they were living by worldly principles rather than the teaching of the Spirit. They acted like, Paul says, mere humans, suggesting and meaning not like people who are filled and being led by the Holy Spirit the supernatural aspect of that. To specify even further, the apostle quotes the claims that these particular factions had within the church. I follow Paul. And the other one, we knew there were four, and he just happens to mention two of them here. The other, I follow Apollos. Earlier in chapter 1, Paul maintained that such divisions were basically unthinkable for a variety of reasons, but here he describes them as worldly and carnal. By resorting to such immature practices, the church was behaving just like the unbelievers around them. They were fighting, and not only against one another, but I want you to see this. Not only are they fighting against one another, but Paul is letting them know that they are actually fighting against the very purpose and goal of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This is what was happening. 
in the church at Corinth as worldly carnal believers fought and split from one another. You see, because jealousy always wants something else, which leads to strife or quarreling, always finding something wrong, which leads to division, always looking for something new as if Jesus is not enough. Verse 5, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I want you to, first of all, notice the verse begins with what when it could have started with who. It could have been who is Apollos, who is Paul, but I think Paul is intentionally getting rid of the who and going with what to in a way of just minimizing himself. And notice he doesn't even list his name first. He goes with Apollos' name first. Says they are not anything to be lifted up and glorified. They're just simply instruments and tools in the hands of God, in God's service. Paul challenged their whole perception of Christian leadership here. Neither Paul nor Apollos, the imagined leaders of their divisive groups would have been nowhere close to being impressed with these cliques, even though their names were attached to them. In fact, Paul reminds the Corinthians that both he and Apollos are simply servants through whom the gospel messages came, which they had initially believed. Wow, what a statement. Paul spells out, a clear message. How can the Paul party and the Apollos fan club stand at odds with each other in Corinth when both of them are players on the same team? It shouldn't be. How can this be? Only spiritually immature minds Suffering, suffering from a serious case of carnal Christianity could turn these two fellow servants of the gospel against each other through what? Jealousy and quarreling. Verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Paul is asking the Corinthian Christians, why are you so divided? Apollos and I are in this together. <laughs> We're not divided. Why are you? We both have a part to play. We simply plant. We simply water. It's God who works the miracle of making it grow. By this, Paul means that he and Apollos have a single purpose toward which they work together in unity, in harmony. Despite those who might use them as 
tokens for their hostile rivalry with each other, Paul and Apollos held each other in mutual respect as they focus on a singular purpose set by God to spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ and their allegiance to God and their commitment and devotion to that mission made them loyal to one another, not against one another. By identifying himself and Apollos as servants, Paul reminds his readers that Christ was the true Lord. Hear this now, church. To celebrate a servant rather than the Lord is utter foolishness, Paul is telling them. The results of the powerful gospel and preaching which had converted the Corinthians belonged to God alone. Amen? Paul needed to paint a persuasive picture. And so he follows the example of the master teacher. In the parable of the sower, which most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with, Jesus compared the human heart to soil and the word of God to seed. You can find that in Matthew chapter 13. Paul took that individual image and he applied it in a plural sense. In other words, the local church is a field that ought to be bearing fruit, not bad fruit, Good fruit, united, not divided. The task of the ministry is the sowing of the seed, the cultivating of the soil, the watering of the plants, and the harvesting of the fruit. How did this image of the church as a field apply to the special problems that were going on in Corinth? We'll look at verse 9. For we are co-workers in God's service, you are God's field. And then he introduces a new analogy, which he'll develop in the next verse in chapter 10. He says, you are God's field, you are God's building. You see, to begin with, the emphasis must be, has to be on God and not on the laborers not on the ones doing the ministry. And Paul and Apollos are only servants who did their assigned task. It was God who gave life to what they were doing, to those tasks. It was God who gave that life. They are working God's field in Corinth. And then Paul says in the Corinthian church, it's God's building. What's his point? The Corinthian believers are not many buildings, just one. You see that? He doesn't use a plural form of building, he, buildings. He says building. They're not many. They are one. And although they meet in the homes of different people and have listened to different teachers, they are one community, one house belonging to God. The Corinthians, you see, I think had fixed their sights, their vision way too low. It's way down here. They can't get it off the dirt, <laughs> get it off the world. Way too low. It's on humans. It's on worldly wisdom. Not, on, not high enough. Needs to get lifted up here towards the one. 
who deserve their full, full devotion. The absence of maturity becomes clear when Christians get so busy and are more concerned with their own enjoyment and benefit than with building and growing a Christ-empowered community where the presence of God's wisdom and spirit are evident. We as individuals who make up the church belong to God. And according to the Apostle Paul, we are his field. Amen? <laughs> but here's the thing about being a field. A field gets plowed. A field gets tilled as it is being prepared to be planted for harvest. Ever feel like you've been plowed over? Ever feel like you've been tilled up? Don't worry. Don't be surprised, church. You're God's field. You're God's field. The good news is that when his fields get plowed, it, it means that the seed of something excellent, something good, Something beautiful is about to be planted. So if you ever find yourself wondering why your life has been overturned and plowed up and leaving you feeling more down than up, take hope. Church, would you be encouraged? Because God has turned and tilled the soil of your life it just simply means he's getting ready to plant something wonderful. Anybody here interested in having good seed planted in your life? I trust that you are. He's getting ready to plant something wonderful and in the process of growing and maturing you so that you will be fruitful for him. Don't run from the plow. Don't run from the till. God loves you, and he is for you. Let him have his way, amen? And let him plant the seed. Good seed, planting won't happen until the plowing happens, right? Let him plow. Father, we come before you this, this morning and are thankful for your goodness and for your faithfulness. God, we, we want right now to maybe in a new kind of way, maybe we've not ever thought of ourselves as your field, but that's what we are. And we pray, God, that we would remain humble before you, open to you, and say, God, here I am. I'm your soil, I'm your field. And when you need to plow, please plow. When you need to till, please till. Turn the topsoil as often 
as you need to, Lord, in order that I might indeed not stay stunted in my growth with you, but be growing and maturing and allowing you to plant seed in my heart, in my life, that I might be fruitful for you. May that be our prayer, Lord. May that be the prayer of Wellspring and its, and its people, that we would be fruitful for you, united together in the bond of your love, not divided, not fighting, not getting trapped in jealousy or quarreling, but realizing that we're all on the same team, playing on the same field. And you grant us victory. May we move forward and realize that victory in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my heart.